Hi, I'm Katie Lucas. Welcome to the CTX podcast featuring conversations about UX and CX with leaders in Connecticut. All right, so I am Katie Lucas with the CTX podcast from Cronin, and I am very excited to be sitting here with Chris Hummel, the SVP and CMO at United Rentals. Uh, So the first thing would be great if you could just give a little bit of information about United Rentals. I think there's a lot of people out there, despite how enormous you are, um, who aren't aware of the company and what you do. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. United Rentals has been around for about 21 years. Uh, based here in Stamford, Connecticut, originally in Greenwich and then moved over to Stamford a few years ago. But we are the world's largest equipment rental provider in the world, uh, about 19,000 employees strong, 1,200 branch offices or stores across the United States and Canada, and a small contingent over in Europe based on a recent acquisition we did of a company called Baker Corp. Last year, we did just over $8 billion in revenue, and this year we'll hopefully reach uh, over $9 billion. Wow. Wow. That's something. Um, and if you could talk a little bit about what United Rentals does. It's, a, it's the kind of market, it's the kind of company that flies under the radar, I think, for most people who aren't you know, intimately involved in the industry. So just a little bit of background about you know, the kinds of business lines you have, the kinds of equipment. What does United Rentals actually do? So we serve two primary markets at United Rentals. One is the construction industry and capital projects, and the other is in the industrial sector. And while a lot of people have probably heard of us or uh, maybe know the name somehow United Rentals, after this kind of podcast or hearing of this, they'll notice our equipment everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, Over 600,000 pieces of equipment around in our fleet, uh, worth over $14 billion at what we call original equipment cost. Mm -hmm. And what we do is we really work with organizations. This is not a, um, a do-it-yourself marker. We're not as interested in the weekend guy who right. needs a power washer to clean his backyard, but more maybe the landscaper who does it frequently or mm-hmm. needs equipment. And the range of equipment we have is just about everything from the small industrial tools, power saws, those kind of things, all the way up until major earth movers. Mm. We don't really get into the the big cranes, so to speak, but everything in between to serve uh, earth moving, material handling. Then we have some specialty businesses as well where we have our what we call fluid solutions, which is for wastewater, Mm. oil and gas, pumps, uh, tanks, those kind of things, trench safety, power and HVAC, industrial tools, and then uh, reliable on-site services, Mm -hmm. which is portable sanitation, offices, those kind of things. Wow. And as we were talking earlier, you mentioned that you guys are even into drone flying services um, and VR and some really interesting sort of sidelines there as well. Yeah, I think this is part of the evolution of United Rentals where we've gone through a couple phases in our history. And our first phase was really about consolidation. So we took a whole number of companies and sort of combined them all together into United Rentals and created the largest equipment rental providers, I said. But our customers have been struggling with complexity and yeah. the work that they have to do. They've been trying to figure out new ways of productivity. The construction sector is not particularly well known for its sure. productivity advances. And so uh, one of the things we try to do as the industry leaders get ahead of the curve. So yeah, it's probably not very uh, well known, but we do have investments in robotics, in uh, drone technology, in virtual reality Mm -hmm. training, in logistics marketplaces. And what we're trying to do is use technology to help our customers find better ways to do their job. Right, right. 
Right, that's tremendous. Um, all right, so just a little bit about you, I think, would be great. We always like to get a little bit of the backstory of how did you come to be here? How did you come to be a CMO? What did that journey look like for you? So we have about three hours to go then? Sure, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, no, it's not, <laughs> nothing quite so interesting. Uh, I spent most of my career in technology, mm -hmm. uh, particularly in software. Companies like Oracle and SAP and... Yep and others like that. Got a little bit into the communication space and then even into industrial technology with Schneider Electric. Mm -hmm. So um, I was the global CMO at Schneider Electric, a yep. big $30 billion French industrial conglomerate. And that's where I probably got a taste for what most people would call the internet of things. Mm -hmm. um, and sort of this, uh, what I call, you know, data in the dirt or uh, real technology that has to work and operate. And so when I got the call from United Rentals several years ago, at first, I sort of went, United Rentals, really, with my background? But then as I, I met the management team and talked about and talk, talked with them and sort of discussed our ambition of the way we wanted to solve our customers' problems, mm -hmm. it really hit home that this was exactly what I was looking for. Right. And so with that technology background and that marketing background mm -hmm. in a number of different B2B companies, sort of made it fit, mm -hmm. and it's been fantastic ever since. That's great. Um, and for Internet of Things, you know, this is a good geographical area to be. You know, the, I'm not sure how well known it is, you know, out there <laughs> in the world, but there's a lot of very cool stuff happening in Connecticut, in Hartford. Um, Stanley is doing their Manufactory 4.0. Uh, it's an interesting space to be operating in here. Well, well I think this is where the interesting sort of trends in general in the industry. You wouldn't think of Connecticut necessarily as the center of the industrial exactly. world. Um, and so you probably wouldn't expect the largest equipment rental supplier to be here, mm -hmm. Stanley Black & Decker yep. or others like that. But what's happening is the technology revolution that has happened in Silicon Valley and in Austin and Boston and places like that uh, has now started to spread. Yep. And others are starting to participate more and more. And so while we like to think, you know, um, in, in a lot of those hubs, they're really advancing science and, and it's great in technology and R&D. What we're trying to do is the real world application of yeah. it. Mm. So rather than worrying about whether you call it Internet of Things or as we call it the Internet of Heavy Things, uh, <laughs> you can't deliver our, our products by drones yet, but uh, is really where can we get a practical application yeah. for our customers. So just to give you one small example, people think that when you rent equipment, you're talking about time. How much time am I using it like you would think of a rental car? Yep. But in fact, a big part of it is utilization, meaning how much are you utilizing that right. piece of equipment? And if you're not utilizing it, using it, we want to take it back. We don't want you to sort of, um, we don't want you to spend the money. Mm -hmm. We have other customers who need that piece sure. of equipment. We want to sort of serve you the best way we can. And so what we're doing is we're using telematics, the data yep. that comes from the equipment through the connected equipment and using that to show customers not just how they're using the equipment, how much, how little, but how that compares to their peers. Oh. And then using huh. their contracts and their pricing to show them how much they could save if they were to better utilize that equipment. Right, yeah. So this is a practical application <laughs> of really using what everybody would call Internet of Things, but to save our customers money. Yeah, that's fantastic. And we have, um, so we have Amica, and they do a lot with telematics from the insurance standpoint. Yep. Uh, this is a really interesting corollary, and you can kind of imagine if I've got a backhoe sitting on the lot for three days doing nothing, that's, you know, a big chunk of money that I just threw away. It's money that you're, you're not 
you know, there, there may be reasons you want to hang on to it or whatever else, but, but sure, if you're not utilizing it, right, you're not getting value out mm -hmm. of it. I think also sometimes even some basic things like where is that piece of equipment? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so from the sort of modest where is that piece of equipment to these advanced benchmarks and productivity modeling and those kind of things, we are really trying to work with our customers and with our partners mm -hmm. um, to try and bring those kinds of solutions to market. That's great. That's really interesting. Um, so in our initial conversation, I started asking you about customer experience, and one of the first things that came up was employee experience. And I do think that that's something that gets missed. You know, most companies who are thinking about CX are focusing outward. Um, you know, they're looking at their, their audience, they're looking at their segmentation, they're looking at their customers, and they're not necessarily doing that introspection and that reflection um, to bring the ex employee experience up to par. So I'd love for you to speak a little bit about that. Yeah, it's something we, we, we really take to heart. Mm -hmm. And it's fun to talk about the customer and the journey they're on and put all kinds of maps and, and put it all together. But we have a fundamental belief that if we serve our employees, mm -hmm. they will serve our customers better. Right. Right. And so there's a lot of investment in the company in terms of making sure our employees have a voice, making sure that their work life um, is appropriate, making mm -hmm. sure that they're having an opportunity to build their careers. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost a Midwestern kind of value, if you like, inside the company. And we often talk about family and other things like that. But it's really around building an engagement with them that they feel fulfilled, rewarded, and part of something. And so whether that's in terms of uh, things we do, we have something called a, a compassion fund internally, which is funded by the employees mm. to try and, in times of difficulty, we actually help each other out. There's a oh, compassion fund, which is driven by the employees, not by the executives, yeah. by the employees, in terms of grants and times of difficulty or, mm -hmm. or those kind of things. Uh, and, and obviously, we have a, a very large veteran population. Mm. Yep. Uh, the work we do, a lot of it is logistics, operating machinery. Those are skills that are often yeah. learned in the military. Right. And so we invest a lot of time, whether it's in allowing our customers to continue to fulfill their service as reservists mm -hmm. or whether it's in supporting veteran causes or programs we have mm -hmm. in our partnerships like Turns for Troops with IndyCar and the Ray Hall Letterman team. Those are all kind of things that we say, if we can get the employee experience right. to the place that we want it to be. And so far, things look good, mm -hmm. right, based on our turnover and, and those kind of things. It pays off in very practical ways. Right. We acquire a lot of companies and when we bring them in, we want to make sure we don't lose that talent because yeah. we're, we're often acquiring talent and the results there speak for themselves, but also because that's a way to get to our customers, mm -hmm. as I said. And so it's both an internal gain and as our COO and soon-to-be CEO, Matt Flannery, says, if I serve my employees well, they will serve my customers well. Right. It also probably forms a listening conduit for you. You know, these are the, the people on the front lines. Uh, the C-suite isn't necessarily out there every day sure. talking to the customers. So by cultivating that kind of culture, do you feel like you're giving them um, avenues to communicate back to you when there are problems or questions or things that come up? Yeah, we, we really do empower them all the way down to the branch manager. So the branch manager is managing his business. Mm -hmm. Now, it's owned by us. It's not a franchise. Right. But again, it's a philosophy of if we can serve locally, that is really the only way we're going to lead nationally. Right. Uh, and so they're empowered. They're given full authority to make the decisions they need to make. 
It's a very flat structure. Mm -hmm. You know, the corporate structure here is very small. Last job I was in, I had 6,000 people in marketing. When I joined here, I had six. Um, That's a difference. So there's a little difference in scale, <laughs> but but you know my, our expectations out of the six is just as high as the six thousand, right? Sure. And and sure. so it's uh, it is a sense and respond capability. It is an agility that allows us to keep our finger on the pulse of what's mm -hmm. going on and our own kind of forecasts and those kind of things. It really does allow us to be the scale that we're at, right? and yet still maintain that close connection to the right. communities. That's a really interesting connection you're making, that that employee culture is what allows you to um, run as nimbly as you do and to be as powerful as you are with, with the smaller forces that you have. That's a that's not necessarily a cognitive leap I would have made. No, and we even, to the point of even when we do investor presentations, mm -hmm. we talk about this quite a bit, and not just to sort of check the box, but because we really do believe this is a competitive differentiator Yeah, for us. absolutely. That's that's fantastic. Um, and I, I do have to say, I have to take a second to acknowledge, I think you have some of my favorite turns of phrase so far out of any... <laughs> Any podcast, we have a couple coming up from our earlier conversation, but um, Internet of Heavy Things, yep. uh, you know, there's there's some really, you have some great ways of using language around this um, these topics. That's that's very compelling, very good to, to listen to. So another thing that we did speak about earlier is this question of safety. You know, we, we I'm, I'm a Cronin, we're in a marketing industry, we're not necessarily having to keep that top of mind. Um, there are times I think we as an industry probably could do a better job, particularly when we're talking about mobile applications and people spending time on their phones. But for you, it's it's not just uh, should we do this. It's absolutely necessary and integral to your business. So if you could speak a little bit about user experience and customer experience and how safety figures into that, I think that would be great. So the safety element is obviously a moral imperative to try and send our employees home and our customers who mm -hmm. use our equipment, right? at least as, as healthy as they were when they sort of got on. Mm -hmm. But it's also, there's a very practical piece of it. There's a labor shortage in a lot of the industries mm -hmm. that we serve. And so if people are not available, as you often talk about in sports, right, he may be the best at whatever his position is, but if he's not available, he can't really do much. Right. And so there's that element of it. But there's also the practical elements of it. Um, it we want to be the leader in safety. Yes, if we, if we have, you know, any issues, uh, our customers demanded of us, mm -hmm. uh, but we demanded of ourselves first of all. And it's a very interesting because when I first came in, I, I have to admit I wasn't quite that that level of sort of safety awareness. But I went to visit one of our branches mm -hmm. and I met Danny Nazaruk, our our branch manager over yeah. in Ridgefield Park in New Jersey. And I told them I was interviewing for C-suite position, and you know I wanted to understand what was going on. And so during the course of our conversation, it was a great conversation, he took me in the back. And this was a Friday afternoon, everybody was gone. There was no work going on in the shop. It was, it was evening time already by the right. time we finished. And yet he still gave me the safety vest and still gave me the mm -hmm. goggles and the helmet, uh, the bump cap, and still wouldn't let me walk outside the lines where if you don't have steel-toed right. shoes, you can't go in there. And it kind of, wow, this is even, ah, but you know, it's after hours, there's nobody here, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. What if there's somebody in the back? What if there's something going on? Right. We adhere to those rules 24-7 yeah. because it, it, it's people's lives. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so that's embedded throughout the culture. And if you, if you talk to us, you present to us, you sort of get involved with us, you'll see immediately if you don't take that into account, your credibility falls down. You're right. And we start every day with a safety moment mm -hmm. where whether it's stretching or whether it's uh, sort of beware of this or right. weather updates, it's just, 
it's so ingrained in our culture because it has to be. Sure, sure. I mean, it seems like that's something that applies to your user experience, you know, in terms of the digital products that you're, you're putting out into the marketplace, applies to your physical heavy mm -hmm. equipment products um, and the training that you do. Uh, but there's also an element of that that does sound more cultural and is the kind of thing that, you know, maybe more organizations should be considering. I, I can tell you that I feel like every day I'm passing two or three accidents on my way to work. <laughs> and I don't have too short a commute, but still that's a lot more accidents than there used to be. Wow. Um, you know, so I, I, I guess I wonder if that aspect of safety maybe isn't as endemic in user experience and customer experience as yeah, it should be. I, I think in the equipment rental industry, all of our peers try and put some emphasis on safety. I mean, it's part of the culture of that. We sure. obviously believe we're, we're the leaders in it, but, but it's something that our customers have as well. And yeah. uh, in our particular case, since we don't manufacture products, the user experience on those products mm -hmm. is more controlled by somebody else, if you like right. the operations. Right. And so what we do is we put a very heavy, heavy emphasis on training. So we have United Academy, which focuses specifically mm -hmm. on safety training, operator training, mm -hmm. OSHA requirements. Um, and we talked about earlier, we've sort of moved that into now virtual reality. Right. So you can train without the cost of actually being on a work site mm -hmm. or, or uh, messing up with a big machine or something like that. Right. But, but yeah, it is cultural, but it is also part of the overall solution as a customer experience. Mm -hmm. And when you get to the digital, right, this is, a, this is an interesting kind of world where um, everything is built on relationships. Right. And relationships have been used as the tool to solve some of the complexity. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do is augment those relationships, not automate them. Right. So the, the, the knowledge of our staff, of our whether it's our sales staff or our field staff, service techs, whatever, our drivers. Mm -hmm. um, our drivers will drive by and see a competitor's truck that has an issue and they'll stop and say, hey, can I help you? Look, there's a safety potential issue here. Mm. Um, every employee has the right to stop work if there's something that they're not comfortable with in a safety terms. Right. When you translate that into a digital world, you have to, um, it's a little difficult because people don't think of the digital world as, as sort of unsafe, mm -hmm. but we need to make sure all that experience is translating into when you're selecting products or right. you're reserving online right. or uh, the training, as we said, we've now pushed online. So we have online training catalogs available. So it's not so much about the UX being a safe UX, right. but it's more about communicating that message, culture, mm -hmm. solution. It's about the environment, Correct. yeah, the total, the total ecosystem. And you set me up very, very nicely for my next question here, which is when we talked on the phone, um, you used a phrase which I loved, which is um, amplify rather than automate. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is particularly resonant in a time where there's a lot of fear about automation. There's a lot of fear about um, some of the kinds of jobs that, that United Rentals touches. Uh, so I'd love to hear what that means to you and, and if you could elaborate on that phrase a little bit. So as I mentioned earlier, a lot of our business is built on relationships, relationships with the, the people at United Rentals. And that's a core differentiator for us and we want that to continue, whether it's the national account manager, the local mm -hmm. person behind the desk answering the phone. What technology can now do is make that person more effective. So we don't want to take away the personal 
commitment that if somebody calls and they get Chris on the end of the phone and they say, will it be there at this time? They know they have a person to go to. Right. A lot of times with digital systems, you don't trust them the same, that they're going to give you the same answer. Mm -hmm. And even some of the biggest e-commerce names in the industry are struggling with the service, the last mile service, mm -hmm. which is what we're known for. So what we want to do is say, keep that, that last mile service, that personal touch, that serving locally, but now give them more data to make better decisions. Give them more information so that they can select their products better. Give them the opportunity to sort of do the research they want to do, even if they're not ready to yet buy, so mm -hmm. to speak, but to get access to our subject matter expertise right. through these digital tools. And that includes even for our own staff, mm -hmm. right? With 19,000 people, they have different roles. We have a very broad product range that's from aerial work platforms to trench safety to power sure. to, to pumps, whatever, fluid solutions. They don't necessarily know all of that. And right. so how do we get that experience passed around so that when the customer has a question mm -hmm. or an issue or a challenge, we can bring all the necessary people and experts to bear. Mm -hmm. Technology is helping us do that. That's fantastic. Uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting way to think about it as the, all of the data and all of the tools supporting all the way up to the last mile, at which point the human takes over. There are times, don't get me wrong, there are times when... Sure. Uh, like we have the ability to get a confirmed reservation online. We have the ability to sort mm -hmm. of self-service access all the information you need to manage your own fleets and right. pay and all those kind of things. So we want to make it available sure. for those who want to go that far. But it's it's think about like even an Amazon experience. Mm -hmm. If you are purchasing something, if you're a buyer, it's a great experience because you go in, you know exactly what you want, you buy it, you're out in 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. But if you're a shopper, Right, it's True. it's a lot harder. Yeah, because if I don't know what kind of sneakers I want or whatever, yeah, oh my God, right, it yeah. will take me hours to mm -hmm. figure it out. So we're trying to, for the people who know exactly what they want, kind of can get there, right. that they can get there, and right. they can do it as painlessly as possible mm -hmm. uh, in a complex business. For everybody else, they can choose the level of sort of automation that they want, but it's really designed to amplify the overall experience. That's that's amazing. There's a lot of conversation going on right now about the onus getting moved more and more to the consumer. Um, and this is certainly a business where that seems, you know, almost terrifying. You know, I mean, if I'm, if my specialty is in managing a crew or, um, you know, whatever it is I'm doing my daily work, you know, I don't necessarily want to know or need to know all of this other information that you guys have. Yeah, you want, we want our customers to be experts in what they do. Mm -hmm. Construction, steel erection, right. laying concrete, yep. uh, maintaining factories, turning them around, right? Running oil refineries or platforms or whatever. We want to be the ones who help them manage their fleets. Right. Yep. That makes total sense. Um, and so another phrase that that you came up with um, when we spoke earlier, which is just fantastic, is uh, digital in the dirt. You know, we were we were talking a little bit about user experience and software and technology, and how that's all a big part of what you do at United Rentals sort of within reason, but you know, you're bringing it to a whole different place. And so I'd love for you to just talk about what does digital in the dirt mean? Um, how does that play out? How is it reflected in what you're doing? Yeah, with all these phrases, you'd think I might be in marketing or I know, something. But, uh, I know, it's crazy. So digital in the dirt or dirt computing is kind of uh, angle we have where uh, there's no question data is becoming critical. Mm -hmm. And when you look at all the things our customers are trying to do, and even how we run our own business, 
data. I talked about the fleet optimization yep. and that beforehand, but even how they use their people and who's trained and, and how they schedule their jobs. and mm -hmm. all. It's becoming more and more important, the data. But I can tell you from experience, having worked for enterprise, the two of the largest enterprise software companies in the world, most tech companies don't really like the dirt. Yeah. They don't like the reality of things <laughs> right. that get dusty and dirty. And what do you mean there's no network connectivity here? What do you mean mm -hmm. there's not a coffee shop around the corner? Mm -hmm. and, and all the kind of things from, from the sort of personal comforts to the, the technology difficulties yeah. of working in unique environments that don't have infrastructure set up and all that. So again, we're not building the stuff in terms sure. of, we're not the ones creating the technology. We're the ones trying to focus on the adaption of that technology in the real world. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the sort of data in the dirt is we want to use all the data, but we want to use it in a way that really doesn't drive theoretical value, right. but drives tangible value. Right. And you start to think about um, all of the waste in digital that's not in the dirt, right? Just in terms of even keystrokes. Uh, and this, this used to be a much bigger deal back in the day when we had dumb terminals and yep. you know every rep was measured on how quickly they could complete a, a digital form. Um, but there's just a tremendous amount of mental labor and um, to some extent manual labor that goes through experiencing all of the digital products that we do. And when you're, when you're in the dirt, there's no room for that. Well, one, one of the greatest insights we came up with over the last uh, several months as we were really looking at our customers and trying to get some direct feedback from them and doing some research and customer journeys and all the kind of things, sure. um, was this idea that culturally, a lot of the, the customers we serve, particularly the construction, is sort of perceived to be all about brawn. Right? Mm -hmm. It's all about strength. Mm -hmm. It's all about capabilities. You know, our our scissor lifts give you the the superhuman ability to sort of leap tall buildings sure. or, or or go up or pick things up that you wouldn't otherwise be able to pick up. But the reality is, an awful lot of the work, most of the work that goes on on a construction site or an industrial plant with these kind of things, is all about mental agility. Mm -hmm. It's all about balancing all these complex little pieces that yeah. are interworking. It's not a conveyor belt. It's actually, you know, if you talk to a supervisor or a field superintendent who only runs 100 by 100 square, all the things that he has to deal with, the materials, people, mm -hmm. location, weather, whether this thing was done and that supplier and this subcontractor, it's really about, it's actually quite a sophisticated logistics machine mm -hmm that yes, requires all the brawn and those kind of things, but if we can help them with that, and that's where the data comes in yeah. to help them optimize all those pieces, mm -hmm. and we're trying to play our part to sort of do it, but that's again comes back to the dirt computing yeah. or the amplification of what people can already do themselves rather than just automating it. Right, right, yeah, and I, I, all of that train of thought is really interesting. You know, you think about the thousands of tiny decisions that have to be made on a construction site or in a factory by um, you know a multitude of human beings that are all working together and that turns that adds up to a very complex equation very quickly it also I will say just to, to pile on a little bit because we're talking about digital as well here is when you think about the whole idea of a user experience or even a customer experience we have to take into account all those different environments right Right? right, one that is somebody sitting in a factory, mm -hmm. one that they're sitting in an office, yeah. one that they're on the road in their car, in the truck, mm -hmm. hopefully not driving, right? Make sure they're stopped. But, um, but all the different environments where sometimes, you know, telephones we take for granted don't work, or right. or or 
for safety reasons, right? They're not allowed on site in some cases and, and those kind of things. We have to take all that into account sure. and figure out how best to get the information to the people who need it so mm -hmm. that they can use it. Right. So do you do your team members, you know, at whatever level spend a lot of time on site with your customers, you know, sort of watching them and listening to them? We do. I mean, the arms and legs we have are only so many. Sure. So given that we have over 250,000 customers, it's hard for us to go to go reach them all. Absolutely. Yep. But what we do is we spend an awful lot of time making sure all of us are out visiting branches, yeah. talking to our own employees, meeting with customers. Mm -hmm. Um, we spend a lot of our time with our partners, our agency partners on the marketing side, doing primary research, yep. ethnographic research, mm -hmm. interviews directly with customers, voice of customers, something we do constantly. It's yeah. not a, sure. uh, a one piece. We survey our customers. Mm -hmm. We have a customer experience platform, Medallia, yeah. that we use to sort of do all that. So we're constantly absorbing data. And I think what my team particularly tries to do is if we can orchestrate that data and then direct it in the right way towards the way we communicate or the programs we have mm -hmm. or the way we support our field staff. We don't have the arms and legs to do it all ourselves, but right. if we can be the right interpreters of that, yeah. that's, a, that's a key facilitation right. role. Right, right. You're like the translators from the... The orchestrators right. is probably how I, I sort of mm -hmm. put it, right? Because you have to pull all the pieces together. And mm -hmm. this is the, the new and exciting world of sort of customer experience and journeys and multi-touch and omnichannel, and we could throw all the sure. sort of marketing phrases sure. out. We're trying to be the ones at the hub of that, that then are feeding in all that mm -hmm. local information from all sources yeah. and then translating it back into something that can actually obviously promote our business, but right. help our, our customers at the same time. And synthesize all of that complexity Correct. out into something that can be digested Correct. also. You know, which and is, can be used and can right. have tangible value rather than, you know, not, I'm not about winning awards right. or, or those kind of things. I'm right. really about helping people who have their boots on the ground uh, get their job done their better. literal boots on the Literally, literal yeah. ground in this case, right. Um, all right, just a, just a few more questions, but um, we've talked a, a lot about customer experience in terms of what you're doing now. I'd love to hear what you think is on the horizon. What's, what's coming up? What do you need to be aware of um, one to five years down the line? Yeah, well, so us, for us, what we're obviously... Um, a lot of what we're focused on is the interaction between people and machines. So things like making sure um, people have the right training mm -hmm. to use the equipment. And so how do we get them there? So right. that's not a traditional way of thinking about customer experience, sure. but, but that's how we sort of think about it. Is how do we arm them to do their job correctly, protect them, mm -hmm. sort of drive productivity while also increasing safety. Those are sort sure. of the two mantras that we're productivity, safety. That's sort of what we do. Um, and so we look at that that interplay. Yeah. And so again, you come back to, okay, Internet of Things is the kind of cool term about it. We just sort of think about it as the way we do our jobs. Mm -hmm. But connected equipment, um, things like keyless entry. So one of the things we're working on is how, you, how a, um, an operator can get access to a piece of equipment mm -hmm. um, in the way that they keys get lost all the time, sure. uh, but they also need to understand their training and their certification and all that. So we can actually, we're piloting kind of ways of marrying the training of an operator mm -hmm. to the use of the equipment. Okay. Um, and Interesting. we're, we're yeah. even doing things like, I, I like to say, we're building an Amazon Go store mm -hmm. without the turnstile. Okay. So we're doing things like geofencing right. um, to sort of work with our customers to have on-site rental yards mm -hmm. where 
there are no friction. There's no barrier. They right. literally drive it up, park it in there, and it's right as long as stopped, they're within the right? area. As long as they're within yep. this geofence. So right. we're 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 really focused on how to help them get the performance done, do their job better, yep. and remove all the barriers from it. The friction mm -hmm. of they don't even have to place a call to us, right, to take it mm -hmm. what we call off rent or call for pickup, right. or if they need it to get access to it as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. We make their jobs easier. They're going to make our lives better. Yeah, yeah, that's um, I I really like that geofencing on-site rental. It's cool. That's cool. That's very cool. Plus, I'm head of Amazon, so that's always cool. Oh, there you go. Um, okay, so one of the things that we do like to talk about on this podcast is, you know, we're t we're talking to iconic Connecticut companies. We're talking to organizations that have grown up here in in many instances, um, and, and there's a lot of change going on um, politically, economically. You know, there's a there's uh, all kinds of opinions all across the map. Um, but I'd love to hear what you perceive as both challenges and opportunities tied to just sort of the geographical location. What is good about being in Connecticut? What's challenging? So as I said, United Rentals has 1,200 branches sure. and offices all across North America, and uh, we empower them to do a lot. But we have chosen to have our headquarters here. Mm -hmm. And we doubled down on it in the sense of when we had an opportunity to move, we still stayed here in sort of southwest corner of uh, of Connecticut. And mm -hmm. so part of the reason we did that was there's a flexibility in the talent that mm -hmm. you can get here because of the personal life style that you can support. Right. You can go east and be more suburban, or you can go kind of west to New York City or southwest to mm -hmm. New York City and have the most urban lifestyle you can have. Sure. And as we talked about throughout this whole sort of conversation, our employees are paramount to mm -hmm. us. And so if we can allow them to sort of live the life and style that they want, mm -hmm. that helps us attract talent. Right. And so for the kinds of talent that we're looking for, this is a good middle spot for us between kind of in this part of Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the advantages of Connecticut. And if we were up in the Northeast more, it'd be closer to Boston. And sure. there's other pieces. So we're in the Northeast corridor. We're able to support a lot. Um, you know, Connecticut provides a nice base for us from transportation hub when mm -hmm. we have to go to all different kinds of places. The one challenge maybe in that talent area has been, and it's been a little bit surprising to me, is it's been harder to find the talent in the digital space. Hmm. So Interesting. whether it's digital marketing right. or or developers or designers okay. or kind of some of the things we talked about in terms of we're really not even doubling down, tripling down on right. our, our digital capabilities. And it was harder than I thought huh. to actually find people here. And I think part of that is, and that's maybe something where we'd, we'd love to kind of figure out because Stanford, where we're at right now, right? Harbor Point is, is exploding. It's sort of lots of new restaurants and supporting yeah. your life. But that technical talent is still kind of locked into New York, mm -hmm. and so it's harder for us to sort of pull it up right. here. So that's maybe the one, the yeah. one challenge we have a little bit. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, we see all the time. Um, you know, the big insurance companies in Hartford are importing from New York. You know, there's a there's a lot of relocation. So if you're listening to this from from New York, <laughs> you know, take a take a look. Yeah, take north. a train. It's okay. <laughs> exactly. Or, exactly. But, but but I guess you know, and this is I guess the challenge for everybody is the one interesting thing is those hubs used to be even stronger. Mm -hmm. But now, because of technology, we can actually be more remote. Right, right. Our, our management team is spread around. Our, mm -hmm. our, you know, our, our branches are obviously spread around. And yet sure. we still have the ability to communicate. We have all the modern capabilities here. And mm -hmm. so we can actually support people who are based in other places. Right. So we get digital talent in other places. Sure. So 
uh, but it's just an interesting little, you know, sort of uh, both challenge and opportunity. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and the last thing, you know, there's a couple of common questions, and this is one of them. Um, I'm interested to hear what advice you would offer to an organization that's maybe, you know, a little bit further back on the maturity scale um, compared to you in terms of um, CX, um, and particularly in the B2B arena, which is, I don't think enough companies in the B2B arena are necessarily as focused on CX as they should be. Um, so any any words of wisdom you have for those organizations would be great. Yeah, we've certainly, uh, and I personally in my career had lots of trials and tribulations and scars from sort of not getting it right. Um, but we have gotten it right a few times. And I think where we made a bit of a breakthrough here was when we really turned to focus on the understanding of the customer. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people are worried about metrics and channels and, and kind of how you do it. But the reality is if you understand your customer, if you do your segmentation yeah. and you understand them more than just by how much they spend, but you right. actually understand their profile and mm -hmm. what they're doing and their consumption habits and how they want to buy from you and what they're looking for and the needs. If I could ever over-index or if I were going to a new place or advising anybody, I would say over-index on that. Get that part right of really understanding your customer. Mm -hmm. The journey will flow from that. The media channel you choose to sort of reach them or mm -hmm. the appropriate process will all flow from that. But if you don't have that right, you're throwing mud against the wall. Right, right, absolutely. And that's um, that echoes, you know, what what we say at Cronin a lot, which is, you know, you just you have to get out there and you have to listen. You know, if you if you don't do those those two things, you're you're missing a tremendous amount of opportunity. Yeah, the other thing I would say, and we're we're starting this as well, is it's not all on you, right? I mean, uh, the best way to understand the customer experience is actually design it with the customer. Right, right, right? exactly. Which is a big part yeah. of what we've done with our digital platforms mm -hmm. is really gone and sort of tested it and tested it yeah. and worked with the customer. And you make some hard choices, but you want to make those choices with the customer rather Absolutely. than saying, Hey, how can I decipher what he or she is thinking? Mm -hmm. Ask them. Right, right. right? There's, a, there's a lot of um, organizations that inflict their digital experiences rather right. than co-creating them. And, or, yeah. or they ask just to check, check the box. Right. Yes, I've asked. I've listened to them. Right. Instead of actually being present and mm -hmm. caring about what they say and then acting upon it. You won't always listen to it. You won't always agree with mm -hmm. it. You may even sometimes choose to disregard it. Mm -hmm. But you have to actively sort of listen and, and then all kinds of things come. Right, and that acting on it is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of organizations I've seen that um, build and launch a product and then they test uh, because they think they should and a whole bunch of stuff comes out of the test and they say, oh, well, look at that, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, in, in our case, I guess I have 19,000 uh, critics and judges there who also go, go yeah. out there and are constantly telling me what they think, which mm -hmm. is great because they're my eyes and ears as right. well, right? The rest of my colleagues and peers. Mm -hmm. uh, and they are not shy about sort of doing it. So we pressure test it mm -hmm. internally as well. And everybody has that focus on the customer. That's fantastic. Um, all right, well, that's it for me. This Great. has been just fascinating, Chris. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, I will put show notes up at ctxpodcast.com. Um, we'll link to United Rentals and probably to your LinkedIn and Twitter um, accounts as well. Um, so again, thank you so much. This has been terrific. Thank you very much, Katie.